This week's Press Gallery is brought to you by Callaway. Hey, Dave. Yeah. Do you play golf? I do from time to time. Yeah? Yeah. Do you want to hear a funny story about the last time I played golf? I'd love to. I was in a country town in Australia and I was playing golf with a buddy of mine and this um, kangaroo started chasing me and I had to, I had to flee from a kangaroo in a golf cart because they get really territorial. And they're also faster than you can run probably. Really, really fast. They're faster than golf carts too, let me tell you. You know what? Had I had a Chrome Soft, which is a new Callaway golf ball, maybe this wouldn't have happened. I could have like thrown one and distracted the kangaroo. I don't know if it would have worked. But anyway, the Chrome Soft isn't just another tool ball, Dave. It's a golf ball that is changing how tool balls are made. When Callaway made a low compression, low spin tool ball, others said they might be onto something. And they tried doing the same, but they can't because Chrome Soft is the only ball engineered with graphene-infused dual soft fast core for serious speed, unbelievable control around the greens. See for yourself why everyone is playing and loving Chrome Soft. Order the ball at Change the Ball at CallawayGolf.ca and maybe you too can use it to get away from a kangaroo. Remember, you can subscribe and probably should subscribe to the Press Gallery wherever you're listening now, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or on Spotify. And if you go to edmontonjournal.com slash podcasts right now, you can sign up for a free 30-day subscription to check out all our awesome journalism at the Edmonton Journal. If you like what you hear, of course, do leave a five-star rating. We would love any feedback that you have. You can shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com, or find me hanging out on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery of the Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, July 5, 2019 unless you're in the legislature right now, in which case it's still Wednesday, <laughs> July 3, they 2019. Found a, they found a rip in the space-time continuum. <laughs> they sure <laughs> did. And this is the Haters Gonna Hate edition. With me today, sitting around the table, I have politics columnist Keith Dryan. How are you, Keith? I'm good. Good morning. I do know your name, I swear to God. It's all right. It's been a long week. <laughs> <laughs> Claire Clancy, my fellow legislative reporter, how are you? I'm good. Hello. Excellent. Giant coffee with yep. you. Giant coffee, Keep slightly better than last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're sounding a lot better today, yeah, actually. So. Hooray! And our boss, Dave Breckenridge, how are you, mate? Good, good. You had to think about that for a very yes. brief second. You sure? Yeah. You've gone I'm good? pretty sure. Lock it in, Eddie? It's like par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> right on. We have got a few things to talk about this week. As every week in Alberta politics, we always have a few things to talk about. We're going to be looking at the public inquiry that has been launched into those that hate oil and don't want it and are saying mean things about it. Um, we're also going to talk about the insane filibuster that is still going on as we record this podcast at around 9.30 on Friday morning. And we're going to be talking about who is telling the truth about Alberta's finances Let's start off with the inquiry. This was announced yesterday. Uh, Keith Dryan, give us a rundown about what's actually happening here. You you called into the press conference. I did. So I did. Yeah, no, it was happening down in Calgary. It was announced there. Uh, Premier Jason Kenney, uh, uh, Justice Minister Doug Schweitzer, and Energy Minister Sonia Savage. And this was something that was uh, included in the UCP's campaign platform that they would like to hold a public inquiry into – um, this idea that there has been a foreign-funded, U.S.-funded uh, attempt uh, to 
landlock Alberta's energy. Uh, groups uh, like the Rockefeller Foundation in the United States that, uh, according to Jason Kenney and others, have poured money into Canadian organizations to stop pipelines, to stop energy projects, um, presumably to um, stop Alberta oil specifically. Uh, he claims that it is because uh, Alberta and Canada are weak, we're the ones that were able to be bullied. Um, this is not necessarily about stopping oil production generally around the world, just Alberta oil uh, to give an advantage presumably to the U.S. market. Uh, not specifically for environmental reasons. And so Jason Kinney wants a public inquiry into this. Uh, he's, and we've apparently hired an accountant, uh, whose name for, <laughs> escapes me at the moment. There's no Some, one better to do an inquiry the, into oil than yeah, an accountant. Forensic accountant. Mr. Allen is his last name, I think. A forensic accountant. Yeah, forensic I didn't know accountant, that detail. Yes, exactly. So apparently a lot of financial information to track down. So mm. uh, this is, this is why they've picked an accountant. Uh, and this will, this is getting underway right now. Uh, there'll be two phases. One that, uh, will do sort of research, uh, to find out the extent of, of this uh, foreign funded campaign. And then a second phase, which could involve public hearings in which the uh, commissioner can compel witness testimony and, and can compel documents just sort of like a, like a pseudo court in many ways. But they can't compel anyone from outside of Alberta to come here and this say anything. This is the anything. big problem. Yeah, exactly. And so, when you're talking about foreign funding of these things, if that is indeed the case, what good is it going to do to have the people? <laughs> I know exactly what you're about to say, Dave. Well, I, I assume that he'd, <laughs> they'd be compelling testimony of people who would yes. benefit from the foreign funding here in yep. Canada or Alberta. You know, it, yes, it was a part of their campaign. And yes, the UCP made a, a big deal about this during the election and uh, as have others. Um, but I mean, some of this research has already been done because Kenny was standing up at the press conference saying, Hey, you know, there's a lead now or tides or I don't know, the Rockefeller, uh, Russia fund. got a, Russia got Russia a shout got out as well. So it's like some of this information is already out there. And admittedly, there are those who don't believe the information that's out there or find the people who are pushing it discreditable. I know there's been a lot of debate around one researcher in particular, um, and, uh, whether uh, her information is good or, or credible, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and try and argue one way or the other. So I can see that maybe this is a way just to make all of this official and good and proper or maybe elevate some of this information out there. Um, but what happens if the report comes back and, oh, it's not that big a deal or it's not that big a problem or like what, what is the end result here? Or even if the report comes forward and says, oh yeah, no, this is a huge problem. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I guess when the government would use it to back up whatever they want to do. And if it comes back and says, this isn't actually an issue, you dum-dums, then they've just spent $2.5 million for no reason whatsoever. I can't help but think though, Dave, that this is not going to come back and say that. Fair enough. And for $2.5 million for essentially what is an, I think the Premier talked about wanting to educate Canadians or using it as a tool of information for Canadians. That's not that much money compared to the amount that, you know, the Redford government had spent on on a pro-pipeline message and lobbying in Washington and even the NDP government spent a lot of money on advertising that was pro-Alberta oil. So two and a half million dollars to do an inquiry to further the pro-Alberta oil message. I'm like, that's not that huge a deal. 
Well, it's two and a half million to the government, but let's not forget the legal fees that are also going to be racked up by anyone who might be play a role in this. And could, it could be some of these foundations from the U.S. It could be the Pemben Institute uh, here in Alberta. Uh, these environmental groups that actually don't have a lot of money and may now have to shell out for lawyers. And that's my concern about this is that Jason Kenney can't really get the people he wants to get this. He can't get the Rockefeller Foundation. He can't get the Russians. He can't get any of the other. Oh, say as you, Keith, <laughs> ye of little faith, mate. I didn't think we'd be talking about getting the Russians. No, on this not getting the Russians. <laughs> not going to be getting any of these other sort of anti-oil groups in the United States. They are not coming up to Alberta to testify. Uh, maybe they'll send documents or something. I'm not sure. So what this is presumably going to end up being, or what I fear it may end up being, is putting Alberta's environmental groups on trial of sorts. So this is going to be the Pemben Institute, the Sierra Club, Greenpeace, maybe others, who are going to have to sit up there and kind of defend how they got their money, what their message is, um, whether they've been saying false things. It doesn't put the oil industry up to that same standard. It just puts these environmental groups up to that standard. So that's my worry is this is going to turn into a bit of a show trial against Alberta's environmental groups. Already on on the Twitter box, which is, of course, a place of reasoned discussion and, and thoughtful ideas and, and debates. Um I'm already seeing it <laughs> compared to the uh, – what did Zipporah Berman, who was, of course, appointed to as part of the Oil Sands Committee by the NDP government, is a noted environmentalist, and um, the UCP and Conservatives really don't like her at all. She compared this to kind of like um, McCarthyism and trials like that that were trying to create witches out of people. The argument there is, well, what about free speech? What about environmentalists' ability to actually say things that are critical of the oil industry? And Jason Kenney was asked that yesterday and he said no 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 this isn't about free speech this is not about shutting down people have very real and you know fair enough concerns about the environmental impact but we need to get the message out there that it's not actually that bad yeah well a public inquiry is a pretty heavy-handed way to do that uh, i i think i think there is a legitimate concern around free speech here not, nothing about this process is going to be able is going to essentially shut down somebody's ability to speak but it is going to send a message it is going to apply pressure to those groups that hey if you if you do speak out if you do go against Alberta's oil industry, we're going to we're going to take action against you and we're going to put a lot of public pressure on you and your life's going to be miserable for a while. Uh, so I think there is sort of a soft approach here to limiting free speech. It's not a it's not a uh, heavy handed kind of uh, attempt to get around, um, you know, the right of free speech. It is uh, it is more of a bullying tactic, in my view. One of the other names that, of course, came up during the election tied to this whole thing was Ed Whittingham. We all remember Ed Whittingham. He was a former director of the Pembener Institute and was then appointed to the Alberta Energy Regulator. And Kenny said continually throughout the campaign, we're going to fire Ed Whittingham. We're going to fire Ed Whittingham. Ed Whittingham, quit. You can't fire me. I quit. Um, interestingly enough, um, he is the keynote speaker at something called Reboot Alberta's Revival Gathering in Red Deer in July 27. <laughs> so that's just a fun little side note. And Reboot Alberta, I believe, is uh, sort of Alberta centrists is that, yeah. are, that are trying to get back into the political conversation. Exactly. So that's okay. how the Alberta Party folks. Yeah. yeah. That's how the, the Alberta Party first formed low so many years ago. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that's the other thing about the attacks on some of these groups, like Kenny named the Pemina Institute specifically a number of times saying that or noting that they did receive money from the Tides Foundation, which has as part of its 
broader mission, uh, a desire to, uh, to curb oil production to some degree. And I believe the Pemet Institute has received something like five or 6% of their funding over the years from the Tides Foundation, a very small percentage. But Kenny in particular yeah, seems to be- That's not much, is it? I mean, that means 95 or 94% of it is not. Is not, <laughs> exactly, right. Um, that's, that's their claim anyway. But- the Pemmin Institute, these are not radicals. Uh, this is a group that wants sustainable oil development. They're not calling for the shutdown of the oil sands. Um, they have opposed a lot of the pipelines, um, but they're not out there chaining themselves to trees or forming roadblocks. They are academics in many ways, uh, researchers. So to cast them as radicals, uh, as, as Kenny is, is largely doing here, uh, I think is a bit disingenuous. I thought his attacks on Ed Whittingham during the campaign were also unfair. Well, I mean, Ed Whittingham was actually, un- like, he was employed by oil companies as kind of like a consultant environmentalist right. type person he, he for them work- to listen to what he was saying and present those arguments in a reasonable way. That's right. He was working with the oil companies. Yeah. Uh, so this is, uh, that part of it is a bit concerning. So if this is honestly just a fact finding, mission uh, to, to discover how how deep this uh, this lobby group uh, this lobby effort has gone uh, and what impact they've had fine I just don't get the sense that that's where Jason Kenny wants to stop with this let's move over to the filibuster that is happening right now Clancy you've been covering I this. thought I wouldn't get to cover one and then it happened yeah, again you're away second time. for the last one weren't you? I was yeah so you're that was hiking up a mountain somewhere I was so this is fun yeah. yeah so tell us a little bit about what's happening right now in the legislature or rather than right now I guess it's, it's still happening right now but what's happened why we're at why we're, why is it still wednesday clancy even though it's it Friday? is still wednesday and as dave said yes a rip in the space-time continuum at the legislature <laughs> i like that description Where's that delorean gone <laughs> yeah um so basically uh sat on wednesday um after the dinner break mla's reconvened uh, at 7 30 p.m so the session has been sitting since 7 30 p.m on wednesday non-stop because the ndp are filibustering um, Bill 8, which is the education legislation that would, um, in the NDP's view, roll back protections for LGBTQ students who want to establish gay-straight alliances. Um, you know, Janet French, the education reporter at the Journal, has written a lot of really comprehensive articles about what the changes are in um, Bill 8, and we've talked about it at length, I think, on the podcast, so yeah. I, won't, I don't think I need to go into all the, the plethora of changes that we would see. But what's important to know here is that the NDP have been saying that they will delay this legislation because they think it hurts LGBTQ students, and they've also proposed a slew of amendments to the legislation. So some of them included things like protections for LGBTQ teachers. Um, I think that amendment was voted down, though. Uh, they also wanted an amendment um, that would establish a timeline to give where principals would have to establish gay-straight alliances within two weeks of them being requested. Um, and so that's basically what's going on in, in the chamber right now is that um, MLAs are kind of continuing to stand up and speak on these issues. Uh, we spoke to Jason Nixon, UCP House leader yesterday, and he said that he thinks the NDP are, um, you know, delaying for the sake of it, uh, that they actually don't want to de- debate the legislation and that this is just a delay tactic. They actually moved over to Bill 2 this morning at some point oh, when I was yeah. um, lying in bed around 7 a.m. As I like to do, I turned on the legislature feed yeah. um, <laughs> on my phone and they were... Party like a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they were 
they were talking about Bill 2, which is, of course, labor law changes, which is another right. uh, bugaboo for them. And overnight on Wednesday as well, they weren't just talking about Bill 8. They also talked about the Senate Election exactly. Act Bill as well. 13. Bill 13. Yeah. So it hasn't just been um, Bill 8 for sure, but that is what kind of the the main uh, debate is around, is around these gay-straight alliances. Yeah, and the NDP has called that one Bill Hate with H and then the number a Very eight. quippy, a quippy Very little Levine early nickname. Career. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave? Thoughts on this? I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> Dave shrugs his shoulders. It, it, you have this like demeanor, like you've been watching the last forty hours well, and stuff. <laughs> sometimes it feels like that. Even just kind of <laughs> casually paying attention, you kind of get weary. I get filibustering is a is a tool that the opposition has to uh, raise issues and concerns and help stall the government's agenda great. Does it achieve anything in the broader sense of things? No. Do they look obstructionist at times? Potentially. But hey, it's great political theater. That was a great summary. I liked that. I, <laughs> um, I think what's what I'm kind of interested in is that you know, Session has been sitting with this new government for a few weeks, and um, the NDP has now filibustered two, had two major uh, filibusters. <laughs> Is it just a few weeks? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it, it feels, feels like, like a lot years, longer. But no, it's only been. But I do wonder, you know, is this going to be the norm? And how do they make a point now? How does the NDP make a bigger point when yeah. they want to bring attention to pieces of legislation? It is a concern. You can't do this too often and still have the same effect or the same resonance with the public. And we so, call that the boy that cried wolf, the Keith. Bull, boy that cried the boy wolf. that cried filibuster. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the UCP's legislative agenda... Uh, they got out of the way some of the big, big pieces of their agenda, which the NDP is diametrically opposed to. So things like corporate tax cuts, particularly the labor legislation, uh, youth wage cut, the uh, um, the bill that moved back arbitration hearings uh, to the fall for, for labor unions and, and the GSAs. Those are all very big issues to the NDP. So I'm not sure we'll see this in future sessions as much. Uh, these do seem like particular issues that the NDP is quite concerned about. However, um, when you get to the point of we're at about 38 hours now as, as of the time we're recording this on this current filibuster, you one, you start to wonder what the value of it is at this point. Like, I think you've made your point probably 18 hours ago, uh, that <laughs> you are, you are concerned about this, uh, this issue and what you, the fact that you just keep on speaking and, and listen, I listened to some of this, uh, this, some of this was not staying on topic too well. Uh, Richard Feehan yesterday was at one point going on about the invention of electricity or something. I couldn't quite. <laughs> I want to look at that. <laughs> quite follow exactly what was going on, and the speaker had to like rein him in and say, um, "Member, <laughs> I'm, that's I'm amazing. Struggling, struggling to understand where this is going." And uh, we all need a history lesson sometimes, uh, though. Yeah, you know, so Feehan's just taken that upon himself. <laughs> so I mean, this is this is unfortunately some of the kind of stuff we're hearing at this point. Some of it is very relevant debate and 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 very relevant uh attempts i guess to try and convince the ucp but again after 38 hours if they haven't bent it's probably time to just say you know what we gave it our best shot let's let's move on at this point my favorite part of the filibusters is that uh todd lowen who's a ucp mla has been making waffles um, both for both filibusters, he has two little waffle makers. One is a Star Wars theme one; the other one is not. And this time, he added blackberries, so he's really upped his game. Because the first and he's time, doing it at like four thirty in the morning. Four thirty in the morning, he's making waffles for his caucus. Um, I think blackberries are important. I mean, you know, antioxidants, warding off the scurvy, very 
very good idea, Mr. Lowen. That should be the priority during a filibuster. Warding off scurvy. Yeah. 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 I don't know what you guys call a priority, but for me, that's huge. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll just see how that goes today, basically, (laughs) is the end of that. (laughs) Okay. Let's move over to Alberta's finances. This has been a whole uh, thing. I will use the word thing. Uh, Dave, do you want to talk us through what's happened here? Okay. Um, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> you see, the NDP spent a lot of money. No, so um, recently, Premier Jason Kenney had, has, on a couple of occasions, talked about how uh, Alberta's finances are in worse shape than the NDP let on. And he went so far as to say, essentially, and this is to uh, our post-media colleague, Rick Bell, down in Calgary, he said to Rick, um, was it that the NDP lied? Lied and fudged the numbers. Fudged the numbers about the state of Alberta's finances. And them's fighting words. Those are pretty strong words. And then last, late last week, late on a Friday, the province released the year-end financials, the fourth quarter year-end financials for the 2018-2019 fiscal year. And the deficit was lower than projected. <laughs> so... The question was raised, (laughs) what did you mean by the NDP lied about the state of Alberta finances and they fudged the numbers? And then they came up with some, like, they came up with some odd reasoning here. And basically it was, oh, no, we weren't talking about this year, but we were talking about, you know, the future books. So when we get a look at the budget Later, and the projections that the NDP had for finances in future years, you'll see how bad it was, which is fair, but that's not exactly how it was made to sound when you said it. And look, I will say right now, and the NDP tried to bring up the idea that, oh, you see that, you know, Jason Kenney was wrong and we're in great shape. $6.7 billion deficit is not a very good thing to – like you're getting a little too – you're patting yourself on the back too much there, uh, Sarah Hoffman <laughs> and Shannon Phillips. It's not good. It's not, you know – But 60 it's not bi- as bad. $60 billion in debt is not good. No, but it's not as bad. <laughs> it's not as bad. So, I mean, it turned into this whole like, oh, yeah, no, we're doing – we were doing great before the UCP one. Well, you weren't. Uh, and Jason Kenney – you got to tone down the language a bit sometimes. Well, in that Rick Bell column, um, Kenny specifically also said that they he thought that the NDP were being um, were fudging the revenue, and th- that was not the case in the um, annual report that came out. The revenues were actually above what was um, projected in Budget 2018 and in third quarter financials before the election. So, I I thought that was interesting, and we did scrum with um, Finance Minister Travis Taves, and he didn't really answer the question like what was fudging the numbers. What did Sorry, a minister not answering a question. That seems Never highly happens. unlikely in any administration <laughs> ever. And Jason Kenney was asked in question period directly, um, which is maybe not the best venue to uh, get answers for questions. <laughs> but uh, he did uh, he did not take the opportunity to answer that question either from from Rachel Notley. So, I mean, there's a couple of things here. One, Kenney's comments to me are a little concerning because what he essentially was trying to do there – was kind of undermine trust in the government's financial statements to basically say that those financial statements are wrong, that the NDP played with the numbers and the numbers that the public all gets to see during annual report time 
were not accurate. Um, and so that, that's a, a particular concern. But we're also seeing this as a bit of a pattern uh, with the UCP. Other parties have certainly done it as well. When you kind of start to play political games with what should be trusted and apolitical financial information. So on Friday, the instead of putting up uh, some technical experts last from Al- Friday, yeah. last Friday, some uh, technical experts from Al- Alberta Finance, as is the custom when a new quarterly report is issued, the UCB government declined to do that. Um, they issued instead a very short news release. And in that news release, they had Travis Taves quoted as saying that under the NDP, the debt had ballooned to $80 billion. Well, that was a surprise because the figure we've all been looking at is closer to 60 billion. So what, what did they mean? Well, when you look at the numbers, it was that Travis Taves or the UCP had lumped in some debt held by arm's length financing agencies like the Alberta Capital Finance Authority, which loans money to municipalities at low interest rates. That, in my experience, has never been included in a government debt figure. No, so, that's not what they do. That's not how the books have no, worked. And after no. reporting on those numbers for like two years and the projected debt, it's just so frustrating to be handed a statement like that when you don't have a chance to talk to technical experts and then say, exactly. where's the $80 billion number from? And that's what I spent my Friday doing, was exactly. fig- trying to figure that out. Exactly. And so we had to go through the books ourselves and try to, and try to understand that. And that's clearly what they did. They added in numbers that had never been added added in before to make the debt seem bigger than it actually was. Because so, it suits a narrative. Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, that's just in, disingenuous. And that's just one example. That That's, um, it's frustrating for me. It's frustrating, I think, for all journalists, and it should be frustrating for Albertans when those kind of political games are used for numbers that uh, that should be trusted. That should everyone should be singing from the same song sheet. If you don't like the numbers, that's fine. Uh, if you want to spin different types of numbers or, or pick out different ones to emphasize, that's normal. But at least we got to work with the same set of numbers to. Begin and what's with. funny is that coming out and saying sixty billion dollars in debt is unacceptable is a perfectly valid argument yes. like which is what I think is kind of hilarious about this and when we I did ask Travis Taves in that scrum as well um, the finance minister I asked him well do you have confidence in the bureaucrats who are doing your financials because I wonder if any of the um, the department are a little bit insulted by the narrative that's mm-hmm. being brought forward yeah because they're not political employees they are the ones who control the books through government to government, to government, to government. You know, for your long time, that was the PCs, and then for four years it was the NDP, and now it's the UCP. So, yeah, that that notion of why are you crapping on the public servants, bro, is is a very real argument and a yeah. very real question for the finance minister. I'm still curious where he got the – like, I I really want to see the fall. But I know we the last few episodes of this podcast, we've talked about, oh, we got to wait till October and we all make a joke and the, and the Blue Ribbon panel and – we all want to see it. I really want to see it now because, the again, going back, those are really strong words to say that the NDP were fudging the numbers or lying to Albertans about the state of the province finances. Those are serious statements. So I want to see it. If it wasn't these third quarter or fourth quarter financials, then where was it? And if they weren't, well, that's frustrating. Like it, it just it's reminiscent of uh, the Klein years when the government would lowball oil royalty revenues so they'd look like financial geniuses every time there was a budget surplus yeah. right that's fudging the numbers <laughs> like those are and for political gain right 
I want to know exactly where it was, or I want the the UCP to step down on that claim. Yeah, well, that's that's even that's an interesting example. But at least in that case, they're fudging estimates. So Jason, <laughs> yeah. Jason, no, Kenny no, is, Jason Kenny is accusing the NDP of fudging the actual results, which is a, a, an entirely different thing, but uh, and a more serious accusation, obviously. To your point about the full budget, um, I'd had a story this week about. Um, as we might remember during the election campaign, Jason Kenney promised many a time, I will take an immediate 10% pay cut if I'm elected as Premier and all MLAs will take an immediate 5% pay cut. Now, the word immediate was used, oh, it was bandied around regularly. Um, that hasn't happened yet. Jason Kenney was sworn in as Premier on April 30. Uh, MLAs have obviously been in for quite some time as well, uh, but there has yet to be a pay cut for any of them. Um, the theory is that this will happen just before the full budget, which will also potentially end up with public servants taking a pay cut or something along those lines so that it will be some kind of way that it's lining up. But this has to be done through Member Services Committee Interestingly enough, um, I, I was at their first, well, I wasn't at, I was having to watch it on my television because that was the day of the TMX decision, but they had their first meeting, the Member Services Committee, and they talked about a bunch of different things. They talked about a, a salary freeze that is coming unfrozen um, April 2020, and then it was like, is there any other business? And not a single UCP MLA said, oh, yeah, that business of our pay cut that we promised during the election many, many weeks ago. So now there's no member services committee calendar, like set in the calendar. There's no more meetings until the fall. Apparently they're not expecting to have any. The committee can be reconvened at the behest of its members. So UCP members, which are the majority on that committee, could have turned around by now to the chair who is Speaker Nathan Cooper and said, yo, um, about that election promise we have, we have to talk about taking our pay cut and also the Premier has to take his pay cut because we're supposed to have done that quote, unquote, immediately. Um, so we need to reconvene a meeting right now to talk about it. And that didn't happen. In fact, when you might remember a couple of years ago when um, Derek Fildebrand had that whole Airbnb issue, <laughs> they convened a meeting to talk about we need to change the rules so that MLAs can't do that anymore. And yet we sit here a few months in and there's a couple of months in and there's been no changes made there. So I guess that's going to keep my eyes peeled on when they're actually going to take their apparent alleged promised pay cut. Yeah. And in the meantime, um, you know, before member services gets around to this, Jason Kenney and, and the, the UCP caucus could, in theory, uh, shave 10% off their pay, pay, uh, pay check, uh, Jason Kenney, 5% for the MLAs, just write a check back to the government or <laughs> donate it to charity, right? To show that they are immediately not, uh, not taking this money, uh, and not having to wait until the fall when it might be more, uh, politically prudent for them if they're, in, in effect, going to try and impose wage rollbacks on, on public sector unions. Uh, so that's an idea. Uh, if in the meantime, they could do that. Um, until they until they act on this, though, I think it's fair to say that this is a broken promise from Jason Kenney at this point. All right, let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've seen, read, listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. 
dear listeners. Uh, Keith, do you want to kick us off, mate? Okay, so I'm going to recommend a couple of things. One is a piece in Maclean's um, on uh, Hong Kong. Very interesting going on in Hong Kong right now. A lot of uh, pressure from the Chinese government uh, to kind of uh, rein in Hong Kong, rein in its its uh, traditional independence. And there's a great piece by Sh- Shannon Gormley on uh, a protest that involved uh, two million people uh, flooding the city streets. Now that's uh, a protest. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. And the other one is just a fun little summer story. It's about an iguana infestation in South Florida. <laughs> the iguanas <laughs> are running rampant. <laughs> I know. <What>? No. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's swarms of, igu- of iguanas. No, apparently they're pests. They've, really? They've, they're, they're actually uh, encouraging homeowners to kill these things if they <gasps> see them. Can they just lose some gators? Uh, <laughs> it's it's hard to believe, but you know, because they when I've seen an iguana, they're just sitting there doing nothing, it is right? Sitting in the sun. sun, exactly. Apparently, what are they doing? Are they like you know robbing stores well, and dealing meth? Like- not, <laughs> apparently, they're destroying a lot of landscaping, but they're oh. also digging, and they will dig oh. under bridges, under tunnels, and actually destabilize some what? of these structures. Yeah, so they are considered a pest. Oh, I now. can't wait to read this piece. On I know. Yeah, <laughs> Washington Post piece, very interesting. Nice, Clancy. Um, I'm also going to recommend an article, but. But um, it's on Longform, which is a great website that lists mm-hmm. amazing news articles. Sometimes they um, post old long long reads and old long form. So this is actually from 2008. Um, but I recently read it. I hadn't read it before, and I thought it was really awesome. Um, I love health reporting, and I love um, science reporting. And um, it's from The New Yorker, and it's called The Itch. And um, the description is, uh, what the sensation of uncontrollable itch and the phantom limbs of amputees can tell us about how the brain works. And it's just like a really fascinating um, read about people that um, have this, uh, try to seek treatment for basically uncontrollable itch from things like losing limbs and how how, um, medicine is trying to catch up to this kind of bizarre neurological issue. Super interesting. Uh, I'm going to recommend a documentary that I watched the other night on Netflix. It is called Sour Grapes. It is absolutely so good. good. Um, Basically, it's about the wine, the high stakes wine auction industry sector, whatever you want to call it. And it's about this guy who was selling these bottles of wine and they were not what they said he was. There's a French winemaker involved who gets really mad and stops an auction. There's like millions of dollars of wine. There's a one of the Koch brothers is in this thing because he apparently collects wine. There's a former FBI agent. It's just, oh, it's really, really good. Highly recommend it. Bunch of rich people getting ripped off by paying too much for wine that wasn't real is basically what it's about. Dave? I'm going to recommend an album. Yes, kids, it's a collection of songs by one (laughs) artist that you listen to from beginning to end. Maybe about 45 minutes long. This is an album called Lux Prima. Uh, It's by uh, Danger Mouse, who's best known as, I guess, one half of Gnarls Barkley. He's also a a, uh, well-regarded music producer. Um, And Karen O, who's best known as the lead singer from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. It's an amazing uh, album. came out this spring. It has, like, great vintage soul crossed with 90s trip hop crossed with weird french cinematic orchestral feel sounds it's, crazy it's a great album it's a great listen um very moody very like great vocals it's definitely worth checking out and and trying to like a good headphone album nice 
Thanks. Well, that was a real selection of random stuff this yeah, week. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining me, uh, Keith Ryan, Claire Clancy, and Dave Breckenridge to talk politics as we like to do each week. We will, of course, be back again next week with another episode of The Press Gallery. Do subscribe anywhere that you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. Hit me up with any questions, comments, or concerns. egraney at postmedia.com is my email. Emma L. Graney is my Twitter handle. And we'll be back again this time next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>